What's the gingerbread man brought in? <laughs> oh, the gingerbread man's brought in a cheeky monkey hard ginger beer. I'll tell you what, it is an absolute ripper, T-Bone. Have you tried the cheeky monkey ginger beer? I actually had one last night. Mate, I like how it's called the hard ginger beer because a lot of ginger beers uh, aim for the mid-strength, 3.5, but uh, Cheeky Monkey have gone the 5.8% ginger beer and I feel like that's where it needs to be. Not much sugar, lots of alcohol, hard ginger beer, Cheeky Monkey. Get it in you and if you go in a vas in the industrial area, they'll give you 10% off if you mention barreled. Sick. Sweet. Refreshing and spicy, just like you, T Bone. Barrel Surf Podcast. 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 Yeehaw! Alright, g'day Fledgens, Naman here for Barrel Surf Podcast. This week on the show, T-Bone catches up with legendary and perhaps slightly mystical shaper and surfer Jim Banks. Living in Bali these days, T-Bone was just over there recently. Jimmy Banks was under the pump with deliveries, so he suggested to T-Bone that he jump in the car with him and have a bit of a journey around the bucket, delivering boards and stoke all around the place. Classic T-Bone and classic Jim Banks. Absolutely love it. As usual, the Barrel Surf Podcast is brought to you by Cheeky Monkey, Forester Estate, Shark Eyes, and of course, Down South Physio. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll be aware that all of us are on the AG1 train, Athletic Greens. For me, it's all about the gut health. It helps me out immensely in that area. And now my whole family's on it, so I don't actually get to drink as much of it as I used to. But if you want to take ownership of your health, jump into AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. Just go to ag1.com forward slash barreled, ag1.com forward slash barreled. Now it's on with the show. I'm Nate Florence, and this is the Slab Tour, brought to you by the Barrel Surf Podcast. <laughs> so I've just rocked up to a restaurant in uh, Bali, and now I've just jumped in the back of uh, Jim's Suzuki car, and it's probably the first time that we've recorded a, uh, a podcast while we're mobile. But Jim, you're a busy man, but thanks for taking the time. <laughs> no worries. Now you've stepped out of the shaping bay, mate. Can you let us know what you got your hands on today? Uh, I was shaping a couple of boards for a buddy who surfs pretty hard, um, charges a lot of the, uh, the bigger days. So I shaped him a nice seven foot three pintail twin fin and uh, a seven foot, kind of a more of a mid-lengthy type swallowtail twin fin. Now I heard you recently, well by the way, firstly I did try just recently your wing keel fins. Actually a mate of mine back home raves about them because I've been riding quads for a long time. Yep. And he goes, you got to try these 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 keels. Oh, the hookers. I think they're the hookers. They're ah. like a golden yeah, 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 colour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just changed up the looseness of the surfboard and the speed of it. Yeah, yeah. It's a good fin, that one. I, I, um, I originally developed it for Kelly because we were making a couple of boards for Kelly and I thought, how can I get more performance out of the keel? And, you know, what I've learned is with twin fins for me is that at having that keel base, having that long base is really critical. And that without that fin base, you just don't get the drive and stability that I like to feel under my feet, you know. So it was all about, okay, I need to keep the base, but, you know, how can I get more performance out of it? So what I did was I tuned the tip of the fin to be more of a performance type tip. Sick. So you've got all that drive and speed and power from the base, but then you've got that nice lively response from the tip, and it and it seems to work really good for everyone. And 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 boards for small ways, boards for big ways. I mean, I I ride them in my nine foot in my my, my gun is a nine foot twin fin. Yeah. And I ride them in that, and then I you know I ride them in my short my little six foot groveler. So it doesn't really matter for you. you you're twi- you're purely twin fins these days. Pretty much, pretty much. I. I still like single fins, so I've got a, I have a few single fins that I like to surf every now and then. I just like that there's something really pure about riding a single fin. Yeah. And and it's a bit more challenging. Yeah. You know, it's like you just can't get away with stuff that you can on a multi-fin board. Yeah. So I like that having that more of a challenge, you know. And I don't know, it's something about a single fin that for me, you know, when you watch the birds gliding along a swell. Yeah. It feels like that. That's how a single <laughs> fin feels to me when Epic. I'm on a nice wave, you know. But apart from that, yeah, it's just it's all twin fins. 
Yeah, you know, speaking about Kelly, I know, uh, I think he rode a, didn't he ride a twin when they had that, that, that CT comp in Crummus and uh, everyone was going, wow, you know, look how loose and drivey that thing is. I don't, I can't remember what board he was on, but um, yeah, I did notice he picked up a couple from you uh, recently, eh? A um, couple of twin fins. Uh, just this year, I think it was, uh, my memory is so bad, I think it was actually last year. Last year. We made him a little thruster, but it was just a real... Uh, you know, dart throw. I didn't really know what rocker he was using, and um, I just sort of wanted him to feel this the, the bottom contour that I've been working on for the last five or six years. Um, and he was heading off to Jay Bay. I think something happened. I think the boards got lost or stolen. Oh, or something weird happened, and um, I, uh, I think it would have been a really good board for him for Jay Bay, but I, I don't think he ever made it there. Now, what sort of bottoms have you been working on? Because I, I did see uh, one of your photos you put up. It looked pretty, uh, yeah, unique sort of bottom design there. Yeah, well, a few years ago, well, it was probably about six years ago, I was looking at some friends had some Paisal Padillacs. And I was taking a look at the boards, and I saw the V in the bottom, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, yeah, that would make sense for big waves, you know, to drop a V in. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've shaped V bottom boards for, for decades, and I know the limitations of the V, you know, so I was like, well, what can I do to, um, you know, sort of get around that, 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 the limitation of the V. So I sort of combined it with a concave. Um, and if you look at it, you go, oh, okay, well, it's just a, a, a V with concave panels, but I've spent about six years working on now fine tuning it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I used to make concave Vs, um, and man, this doesn't serve anything like a concave V. This is this is a performance level that makes a that makes a concave board just feel like really slow and clunky and yeah. clumsy, you yeah. know. Um, and it and it really does. It's like usually, you know, in surfboard design, it's a trade-off. You gain this, you lose that, you know. Yeah. And this 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 combination of the V with a concave has really surprised me because. I've lost all the downside of the V, and I've lost all the downside of the concave, and I've kept the pluses. I've kept the beautiful rail-to-rail transition of the V, that beautiful smooth feeling under the feet, the way it naturally finds its own line, you know, all that beautiful stuff that the Vs do. But then I've got all this drive and acceleration and, and, you know, lively response of the concave. So it's just, yeah, it really surprised me how well it's worked, and I've, I've tested it in everything, you know, from like, you know, I go up to West West Bali where the waves are so soft. I yeah. mean, they're as soft as anywhere in the world. And um, and that worked well there. And I ride just it generated heaps of speed yeah. on it, Yeah. I ride it in my nine-foot guns, and, yeah, it's just it really amazed me just how well it's turned out. I, I really think that further down the track it'll become the standard bottom contour Sick. because it just it just surfs so much better than a contour. Wow, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So just with surfing in general, are you the sort of guy that sort of, picks you, the eyes out of the conditions or are you just happy just to get out there no matter what just to get in the water <laughs> I think all of us who live in, here in Bali they're pretty fussy you know <laughs> we get such high quality surf if, if there's a slight blemish in the swell line or something like ah oh, yeah that's a bit ordinary today I'll pass you know that sounds yeah that sounds <laughs> that sounds very uh, similar to how we feel down in the southwest of <laughs> WA <laughs> yeah yeah no we get so much surf here it's crazy which is for a shaper it's a you know it's a dream it's a yeah it's a, you know it's incredible to have been able to go test boards out you know on a daily basis and, epic and 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 Uluwatu I mean it's got every single wave under the sun yeah you've yeah, got has. wedging peaks you've got long walls you've got soft days you've got powerful days you've got massive days tiny days it's, there's every wave under the sun out there so you need a full quiver don't you so for a, for a testing round for surfboards it's just a you know shaper's dream um, I see that you went in the single fin up at Ulu's. It looked like you had an epic day of surf. Yeah. How was your heat? Was that, was that your first uh, competitive heat for a while? Or? <laughs> yeah. Well, since the last single fin contest. Oh, okay. See, that's, <laughs> that's your one-a-year event done. That's the one contest I go in. But mainly just so I can, and like most of us who go in it, just so we can surf Uluwatu with six people, oh, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Not 600. Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, I mean, for me, it was a bit frustrating because I still ride single fins. Yeah. And I have these really beautiful single fins that perform really well. So to be forced to paddle out on these, you know, some of the boards are not very good. 
Oh, did they have like a uh, a ruling on the on the, the vintage be, of the surfboard yeah, or something? Yeah, they had to be pre nineteen eighty two and oh, okay. And some of them, I was lucky for my first heat. I had a decent board that turned all right. But then for the Masters final, the board I was riding was just a complete... I was embarrassed. Oh, no. The board surfed so bad, I, I felt like a kook. Oh, no. That sounds like a setup to me. <laughs> it's it's funny. Right now, we have we have an annual, uh, through the Yelling Up board riders, we actually got the single fin on right now. So uh, I'll give you an invite to come down the southwest one day. <laughs> Do you uh, get to... I know you've been up north a bit. Do you still get down to Western Australia much? No, I don't go to Australia too much anymore. Uh, my father passed away a few months ago, so that was like the last time I went to Australia. But apart from that, I, I probably haven't been back to Oz for four or five years. Yeah, okay. It's quite a stint. So surfboard shaping, is that your, your main bread and butter? Um, um, I don't think shaping has ever been bread and butter. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. I thought you might say that because <laughs> most shapers <laughs> do say that. Eh? I, I, if I was going to register my business in Australia again, I would register it as a not-for-profit organisation. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I, I yeah. We uh, we've got a bunch of uh, uh, shapers in, in Dunsborough, and uh, I think most shapers um, do it for the love. That's for sure. You would not make surfboards for the money. You really wouldn't. I mean, I think I crunched the numbers the other day. Uh, and actually it was my marketing guy because he was complaining about how little yeah. he was getting paid and I was like okay well why are you crunching the numbers for you how about you crunch the numbers for me and see how much I'm getting paid yeah so it worked out I'm getting $16 an hour wow that's for like a, probably 12 year old 13 year old at McDonald's probably gets a couple of dollars more I think they get better yeah well yeah well that's so yeah you wouldn't do it for the money do it for the love uh, and, and the stoke well I think it's you know I think for a lot of us, it just becomes an obsession. Yeah. Um, and and not, and not, you know, I don't know if it's a, there's a, a massive drive to keep making a better surfboard, but there's an endless curiosity. Yeah, definitely. You know, of like, wow, what about it? What, what about if I tried this? You know, <laughs> I wonder how that would go. You know, and so this is kind of the constant sort of, you know, because really, I mean. You know, and I said this like five years ago. If you told me like I had to ride these boards for the rest of my life and that I was not allowed to make any more surfboards, I'd have been totally happy. Yeah. So it's not like I feel like I need to make my boards better. Um, but there's just this curiosity of like, oh, what about if I try this, you know? Yeah, I bet. And it's amazing. It's like nine times out of ten that actually they keep going better. And I'm like, wow. That's uh, so, so how long you've been shaping what? 30, 40 years? How long? More than more than Yeah. More than... Actually, we missed it. We should have had a 50th, you know, anniversary, you know, release or something. But no, it's... We should have got at least the Rolex watch from someone 50 <laughs> years of shaping. But yeah, no, more than... I think it's 51 now. Wow. No, 52 years now. Yeah. I started in, I started in 1971. Yeah. 1971. Okay. Yeah. So that's a day... That's the year I was born. So that's yeah. epic. I... Uh, I did send you a bit of a blurry photo. I mean, I've I don't know whatever happened to it, but um, I did own one of your boards, a seven. Oh, yeah. a I se saw the pick. A seven two. Yeah. I, I picked it up in Europe, and it was the only board I rode for about eighteen months. Wow. In one foot and ten foot, and I, you know, what I loved about it. It was so. I guess I got used. To it. it was. It felt so maneuverable in small waves, and just felt really good in in, in larger waves. It had these purple glass in fins and it had a real nice pin on it um and uh yeah it's uh absolutely love that board i you know i think that's the thing you know people will ask me oh you know what's what's the best conditions for this board and you know what i found if it's a good board it just goes good in anything yeah you know the good ones just go good in anything it doesn't matter whether it's like like we have a model called the indo rocket so of course you imagine it's and it was designed for screaming through indo barrels you know head high over heads you know just draining indo barrels yeah but i remember like the current sort of version of it which has probably been around for about five or six years now i remember when i made that first version and i was had been shaping all day i went to stay with uh my buddy Ash Grillmore, the musician, oh, yeah. was living in Changi yeah, at the yeah, time, cool. so I went and hung out with Ash for the night. We went surfing the next morning, and it was just pretty soft, small beach break. And all I had was this brand new six foot six indo rocket quad. 
And I was like, nah, I don't really want to spoil, you know, <laughs> take the board out and then that soft little beach break. I want to wait for some proper waves for it. And I sat on the beach for a while and eventually, eventually I was like, oh, fuck it. You know, so I paddled out. And I think it's the best board I've ever ridden in my life. Sick. For like wasted chest high yeah. waves. And it's not designed for that at all. Yeah. You know, it's designed for well overhead screaming barrels. Yeah. <laughs> so classic. that was, yeah. So that's, you know, and that's, the, I mean, that's. As a surfboard builder, that's just like the best feeling. Yeah. To take a board out and what you thought it wasn't going to perform in, yeah. and then it performs great. It's like, wow, that's, you know, that's that's the payment. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the cash. And it gives you so many great memories too. Yeah, definitely. Hey, do you, did you want to go get your plants and keep driving? Or? No, no, I'm okay. I, we can, I'm fine. Yep, keep, keep going, keep yeah, going. Yep. Now, uh, hey, what I wanted to ask you, because I've, I first came to Bali in probably 87. Um, you know, just get, still going out to Ulu through the cave, do you get any sort of feeling or stoke or anything that you first experienced back in 77? 77. Do you sort of get any sort of that magic still these days? I still... Um, I still get my days when I get to paddle out and just depending on the swell and the tide I can find little windows where there's there's no one else in the water yeah where I've paddled out to and I can sit out there in the ocean and have double or triple overhead waves beautifully groomed coming in and I'm the only one in the water yeah nice and um, nice. yeah that's still that's still a pretty magic feeling that one I bet it is I bet it is do you, do you, do you, when's the last time you sort of had moments like that or um Two days ago? Oh, sick. <laughs> actually, the swell was pretty big, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was uh, I was on the east. Well, actually, I was in Bali Belly. had a bad case of Bali Belly, but I was on the east side up at Crummis, um, and that had a lot of swell. Yeah, I think, was, it, I think in the morning, it, I, I don't know, it, it, it might have been the biggest sets I've seen this year, actually. Wow. Early in the morning. Yeah, there were some big sets came through. Over 15 feet, or? I don't know what you call 15 feet, but like... I didn't surf till the afternoon, so the afternoon was like solid triple overhead. Well, yeah. Um, but the morning was definitely bigger than that. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I had a, I had a, um, had a look at your uh, website, and I know you, you've, you've listed a whole bunch of epic left-handers like Uluwatu, Geeland, Deserts, Cloudbreak, Nalu. I'd like to know, is there any? Is there any elements of those ways that you particularly stand out for you, um, or you just love love them all for for whatever they provide? And yeah, each one of those has its you know, you know unique thing. You know, you know, Cloudbreak has that barrel you pull into and you think, oh my god, I'm never going to make this, and then you're just going like a bat out of hell, <laughs> you know, and and come out there and you're like, wow, that was amazing, you know, um, and and the bluff is that thing of. You know, you pull into that bluff and it's got that arm and, you, and you're sitting up high in the arm and you're way back inside. Yeah. And that arm and just stays open. Yeah. You know, and you just run through that. I love that, you know. How did you find Nalu? Did you get to surf that with a bit of size? Because that gets pretty hectic. Yeah, well, but when I first started going up north, you couldn't camp at Nalu. Oh, okay. So you had to drive up from the bluff. And so... Uh, you know, some of the early trips there, I was just there with my wife and uh, my oldest daughter, who was just a, you know, a little kid, baby at that time. And so we, I would just drive up and surf it by myself. Yeah, And, and it's pretty sizable. Yeah. Um, I remember one day surfing it and I think I was, I think I was sitting at, at Toomey's and I was watching these barrels come through from Centre Peak and I think at the time, they were the biggest, most open, most perfect barrels I'd ever seen in my life. More Sick. than G-Land, more than yeah. Pipeline. I'd never seen barrels that were open so far back inside. And thick. Know? And so perfect. Yeah. So perfect. No no boils, no ledges, no steps, just these absolutely perfect barrels. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty insane. And it's, uh, I mean, it does get pretty crowded up there over the years, but it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on my back end there, so I sort of, yeah, get a bit uncomfortable taking off um, on some of those ways up there. I'm sort of more of a forehand. Yeah, of yeah. 
bigger ways, a sort of more yeah, form of forehand. Especially at Toomey's, huh? Yeah. Those, when they, <laughs> you get those ledges. I just <laughs> leave them for all the, uh, all the young animals. <laughs> the out young there. bucks. All the young bucks, yeah. yeah. And what we love on Barrel Surf Podcasts is, is I, I know you must have had so many good surf trips, is there anything, you know, traveling to all those destinations, sometimes it could be just the thrill of getting there or, or something, you know, that happened to you along the way or the wave. Is there anything that still stands out for you on, on any of those missions to those spots? Um, yeah, I've, you know, I, that, that's the stuff I do remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I can't remember what I said to someone yesterday, but but the memories of those trips, I still have that so firmly, you know, embedded in my in my mind, um, and so many incredible moments of you know just pulling up somewhere and and seeing it firing, or or going to Desert Point and waiting for ten days. Well, and, yeah, and, you know, pre-internet. Got to be patient, don't you? And having no idea if there's yeah. waves coming or not, and yeah. and about to leave literally as we were you know we were about to leave and i paddled out and went i'm just going to catch a couple of like little you know knee-high dribblers yeah. i'm just going to catch a couple of waves before we pull anchor and i'm sitting out there and within about 15 20 minutes this four foot set comes down the point <laughs> and then it's six foot and then it's eight feet and then it's the most perfect desert point i've ever experienced wow my bodies came out. There was three of us in the water. We surfed for hours. Eventually, they wore out. They yeah. went in. Yeah. And I was sitting at Desert Point, and it was mind-blowingly perfect. And I was the only person in the water. Wow. And I kind of real. It was. It kind of freaked me out a little bit because it's like you spend your whole life chasing the perfect wave and the perfect surf, and I realized, oh my God, this is it. I found it's it. It's never going to get better than this. No. It's, you know, it's I've reached the top of the mountain. Perfect barrel, isn't it? And it's like, oh shit, what are we looking for now? It's just multiple barrel sections. What's sort of the longest barrel would you say that you've, you've had out there? Uh, I don't know. It sort of became a thing where like, you know... Uh, measuring a barrel sort of became irrelevant <laughs> yeah you yeah. know it's just like like i remember one second can feel like 10 to some people yeah I, I remember one one session where i was just really curious and mm. once again just there with a couple of buddies and i wanted just to surf the end section mm. yeah and i remember just taking off pulling straight into the barrel mm -hmm. and never came out and i just ride the whole wave in the barrel until it closed out yeah pull out through the back pallet and do it again but from the from the right from the takeoff was in the barrel and never came out of the barrel. Sometime, wave after wave after wave. The, just being in the hole and just enjoying the ride is yeah. is, is, is yeah. All, all, all you need. Yeah. I'm interested to hear about Gland. Um, my own personal experience. I, I um, went there. I think in in '88. I'd be interested to know um, a little bit about your uh, first journeys over to Gland. Um, yeah. Well, I originally went with Boyum. Yep, okay. And what year was that? It was 1981 because <coughs> I just won the Bali Om contest and I actually had money. <laughs> was there, what would you get paid there back I then, think, do you remember? I think the first prize was five grand. 5,000 Aussie yeah, dollars. Yeah. So that would have been a few rupee back then. Oh, uh, that's right. And and then to go to G-Land with Boyum, I think it was $400. And I mean, back in those days, we you know, we were living in Bali for a dollar a day. Yeah. So yeah. to spend $400 for a surf trip was well, like, geez. you know, incomprehensible. Um, spend that on food with my family a day now, $400. Yeah. Easy. Um, but I was hanging out with uh, Thornton Philander and Joe Engel, and I was like, classic. What do you guys reckon? Should I go? Yeah. Should I throw the money down? And of course, it's not their money. So they're like, yeah, go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they didn't go with you? No, no, no. No, yeah. they, were, they were like me. Yeah. You know, dollar a day. Dollar a, dollar a day. day budget. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, so I jumped in with Mike Boyman. It was uh, Peter McCabe. Uh, it was Bruce Raymond. Um, there was another guy from Brazil. Maybe, maybe John Law. I don't remember. But, yeah, there was only about five of us. And Mike had a little platform. Um, where it was like a kitchen sort of dining, you know, with some tables to eat on. And then he'd built these platforms up in the trees. And that's where we slept, in the pla on the <laughs> platforms. How were the monkeys back then? Because they're pretty bloody bad now. Um, well, they, had, they, were, they weren't monkeys, they were apes. <laughs> oh, no. They were, Jeez, you know, they were about the same size as us. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, no, there's these really big black apes that... <laughs> that you know, luckily they were pretty shy and they didn't yeah. really, they didn't come over and, and uh, you know, annoy us or harass us or anything. Yeah. But yeah, they were like, if they'd have turned nasty, man, we'd have been in serious trouble. Oh, I betcha. 
So you mentioned Thornton Flander. I spent a lot of time with Thornton actually um, uh, on the Gold Coast and, and down in Ingarry. Right. Um, yeah, he's a classic fella, and uh, I, I know he loves to uh, to have a have a have a strict budget. Did you surf against Thornton in the um, on Bali Pro? Do you remember? Do you remember much of that event? Obviously, you um, won it. Yeah. Who was in the final? Um, yeah, it was funny. I, I had a I, I had probably the toughest run you could possibly have in that contest, and I remember the first heat. And I can't remember the guy's name. He was from like the Nora Head region. And I thought I think my first heat was the toughest heat. Right. We were going wave for wave, you know, uh, back to back. And I think I just squeaked through past him. But then my next heat was like MR, oh. you know. And then I was against Simon, who just won the belt. Oh wow, heavy the hitters there. You know. And then it was Shane Haran. So how old were you then? Uh, was it was it eighty one? So I might have been like twenty two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then it was Terry Richo in the final. Wow. Who was of you know course. he was the favourite to win the contest. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was a pretty tough, pretty t- pretty tough run, but you know, like, I'm not, I'm I'm not a I'm, I don't believe in surf contests. Yeah, yeah. Be- because it's such a personal expression. Yeah, and yeah. it's like we've all you know we you know we someone likes this, someone likes that. You exactly. Know? Yeah, and, and yeah. it's like it's like going to the to a music festival and going oh who is the best band? Yeah, and you go well I like that band or yeah. I like that band so. And so many times, you know, the heat is won by the person who gets the best wave. Yeah. You no. get the best wave, you get the highest score, you know. So I've never really, you know, I struggled to be a pro surfer. Yeah. Um, so you, you were on the pro scene for, what, a few years? Yeah, I was on the, I, probably four or five years, yeah. I think, I was yeah. on the tour. You were in the top 16 for a while, yeah, weren't Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was actually, I think I was top eight when I walked. Okay. I was in the top eight, and I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Did you have sponsors at the time? Well, I got signed up to the Bronze Aussies for about three years. Okay. Um, and then after that, it was self-funded, like most pro surfers. Yeah. Um, what were you doing? Was that you were making boards to self-fund? Or actually, that's a silly question. Now, were you doing other jobs to self-fund uh, yourself? I think... After that, well, after the Bali, I took I took the prize money from what was left of the prize money in the Bali Om contest and opened a surf shop. Okay. And that sort of funded my, you know, but by then I was pretty much off the tour. I might have still been going in a few contests, yeah. but yeah, I sort of wasn't really in. How did you stumble into it anyway? I mean, you had to have some sort of competitive sort of yeah, prowess a, about yourself to, to. It was just kind of a series of accidents. I yeah. mean. You know, when I was about 14 or 15, they had a contest at Cronulla for like, you know, the under 15s or something, you know. And yeah. it was, and we we're all just a bunch of kids. I'm like, oh, surf contest, let's go on the surf contest. We had no idea what we were doing <laughs> or anything about competing or, you know, we were just going out, paddling out, and you come and go, oh, you got through your heat, you're in the next heat, you know. Classic. And I ended up getting all the way to the final, much to my surprise, and then getting third place. Classic. And, um, I was like, oh, okay, you know, and then, you know, that time contest surfing was just kind of, you know, pro surfing was just kicking off, so there started to be more contests, and so I just kept on going in the contests in Cronulla and, and sort of ended up, you know, um, winning most of the time, but I wasn't, it wasn't, it was never a dream of mine, it was yeah. never to be a competitive surfer or be a pro surfer or win a contest, it was, you know, my dream was, was shaped by you know, Kevin Norton and Craig Peterson in Surfer Mag yeah. going off into remote locations yeah, around the world and, and surfing beautiful waves. That was my dream. Yeah, I think that was a lot of, yeah. You know? No, that that sounds that sounds amazing. So, you know, just on the competitive surfing, were there any high, I mean, you've won the uh, on pro, uh, were there other highlights during that time? Um, well, I think, you know, Good I, times. The, 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 I got signed up to the Bronze Aussies because of a, a tube that I shouldn't have made. <laughs> Where was that at? I was at the, the Coke contest. It was at Narrabeen. And in those days, they had 16 seeds, and then 16 guys got through the trials, right? And it was the world's toughest trials. Yeah. I mean, all the best surfers were in the world trying to get into that Coke contest. It was the world's most prestigious contest at that time. Maybe, or well, the biggest prize money. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Hawaii's probably always been more prestigious. But So I got through the trials... Um, and into the main event and then they go and it was a lot of it was televised you know so that night they had the draw the heat draw and they basically were taking the the um this the trialists 
names out of a hat and putting them up against the, the seeds, you know. <laughs> and they're going down through the list of seeds and they come to MR, who was, you know, MR was the Kelly Slater yeah, of the day, yeah. right? So they come down to MR's heat and everyone in the room just goes quiet. He would have won his four world titles by then, wouldn't he? Something like that. And everyone's like, oh my God, please, you know, not MR. And they pull my name out again. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, fuck. Here we I go. just got through the toughest trials. I'm in the main event and I got friggin' MR first heat, you know? <laughs> I'm driving home that night and this little voice goes, well, you know what? If you could actually win that heat, theoretically, you could win the whole contest, which was a concept I'd never even considered. I yeah, was just kind yeah. of like stumbling along, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Interesting thought. So. They, the contest starts on the first day, they get to the end of the day and they're like tossing up whether to run my heat or not with Emma. The last minute they go, yeah, you guys are out in the water. Lights fading, you know, it's the end of the day. Yeah. We paddle out and there's no priority boy in those days, so it's, you know, Emma's... Just gentleman rules. Emma's, Emma's a beautiful guy on the <laughs> land. I tell you, put him in a heat yeah. and his, his, man, his teeth, his claws wow. come out. Yeah, you know? okay. He's fierce. Yeah, wow. And it's like, actually, we're actually bumping rails and stuff, you know. It's yeah, like full okay. on. Yeah. And I'm so nervous and I get like two or three waves and I'm so nervous I can't even surf and I've just cooked it. And it gets to a point in the heat I'm like, no, nah, I'm done. This, this, there's no yeah. way I can recover this heat, you know. And I take off in this wave and it basically looked like a closeout. And I was just like pulled into the closeout going, okay, game over. Try again next year, you know. <laughs> and I pull into this closeout and I think I might have even closed my eyes. <laughs> and, and I'm like, hey, why can't I have not wiped out? <laughs> and I opened my eyes and I could see way down this tunnel, I could see a little, little ray of light. Yeah. And I'm like, shit. That might be makeable, you know? Yeah, classic. It's back in the single fin days, so a la Sean Thompson, I put my front foot up near right. my board and start driving yeah. through this barrel going, maybe I could, you know, maybe I could make that. And I freaking did, and I squeaked out the end. Epic, epic. And the whole beach started screaming. Wow. And all the guys down the water surfing down the beach, they all, and everyone's did screaming. You, did you claim? Were, were people claiming back in those days? Like, oh, well, I mean, it's a heat. I'm still on the wave, so I'm, like, busy trying to, <laughs> you know, rack up as many points as I can, you yeah. know, while I'm still, and, 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 uh, and I managed, I squeaked through the heat by, by half a point. Wow. And ended wow. up getting all the way to the, to the semifinals and got third in the, in the, in the oh, coke mate. contest. That's a memorable one. Yeah. So was MR, you know, during that competitive time, was MR your, your, your toughest opponent or was there other people that you bang rails with? Um, it's funny, you know, I had three heats against MR and I won two of them. Oh, okay, you've yeah. got you've got the nod on MR. Yeah, so I had the nod on MR, but yeah, you know, he was the Kelly Slater of the day, you know, and he, he had the best boards, he had, had the twin fins, he was... You know, he was a step ahead of the rest of us, for sure. Yeah. Do you follow, like, current competitive surfing? Not at all. Not at all? Don't, don't care? No. Look, I love to see great surfing. I have no interest in contests. I find them boring. Yeah. I watch how people surf in contests. I'm like, that's not how those guys surf. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to rack up points. And, so. and to be honest, it's like, <clears throat> I feel like pro surfing has, 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 has devalued surfing. Right. Contests yeah. have devalued surfing. It's like a, they've turned it into battle of the bands. Yeah. You know? It could be a, you know, like a music festival, mm -hmm. you know, of, of surfers going out and performing. And yeah. like, let's see the show and let's just see them going all out with no regard for, like, you know, lo losing points and not racking yeah. points and just going all out and putting on the best show they can, you know? I, I, would, I would watch that. I think what the punt, I mean, I, I know I would like, to, I mean, your mother nature, you, I mean, you really rely on Mother Nature to deliver. But still, some of the locations that the WSL go to now, they're just not waves of consequence. And people just want to see big tubes and, you know, big big slabbing waves where, you know, the surfers have got to perform in, in high-risk yeah. conditions. But they did bring back cloud break uh, this year. Sorry, yeah, this uh, next year. Cloud break's back on the tour, so it'll make a, make a few, few people happy. Just a, uh, uh, just a question, they, even though you don't follow the tour, but every September they run this Finals 5 format. In the last couple of years they've run it at Trestles, Philippe Toledo's won it. A lot of people are calling for different locations. If you could run the WSL Finals anywhere in the world during September for the best waves, where would you go, I don't know. <laughs> Surely somewhere in Indo. My 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 thoughts were stick them on a boat 
and just go sailing somewhere through Indo, you've got five five men, five women, and just try find the best tubes. No, I hear they did that, didn't they, one time? Uh, up at the, the Mens. Uh, I vaguely remember them doing that, running some sort of contest. They just had them on a boat, and they were running heats, weren't they? Oki was in it. Uh, that was probably a, a specialty event, potentially. I'm not sure, yeah. but... Um, yeah, but for sure, yeah, put them on a boat and send them off to the mints. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's what I think, instead of holding it in trestles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, um, going back to, um, you know, just surf trips in general, have you done many boat trips? Is that something you got into, or you more just did over, <laughs> overland sort I of did stuff? seven years of boat trips. Boat trips, there you go. So you've been a bit. Yeah, we, you know, we had a surf, I, we did a surf charter business. Ah, okay. And it was called the Indo Odyssey. Ah, okay, yes, right. And uh, for seven years, we sailed the entire coast of Indonesia. Awesome, awesome. Um, you know, trying to find the best ways we could. And, and uh, what sort of boat were you... Um, we were just using so, traditional Phoenici boats. Yep. Um, I never had the money to buy boats, so we were, uh, you know, our only option was to lease boats. But I, what I eventually learnt over the years is that anyone's leasing a boat is because it's run down yeah. <laughs> and needs a lot of work, or they don't know anything about boats, yeah, which also means that it's run down and yeah, needs yeah. a lot of work, you yeah. know. Um, so we would often spend the start of the season spending months fixing up someone yep. else's boat right? so we could take people sailing and then still be at the mercy of stuff that, you know, the owners had not told us about the boat and, oh, no. you know, um, various dealing with various mishaps of... There's a lot of things it's that go wrong on a boat. Oh, I, I bet there is. Was it, was it a motor sailboat or...? or? Yeah, that, I mean, the Phoenicians are sailing boats traditionally, mm. um, but they're pretty inefficient sailing boats and... Uh, you know, a lot of your, your long distance stuff you do at night time. Yeah. So often at night time there's not much wind and you can't you can't expect the crew to stay awake all night yeah. and then awake all day as well. Yeah. So usually night is just motoring and, and um, you know, just the captain with his eyeballs falling out of his head yeah. at three o'clock in the morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um so when did that? When did the Odyssey sort of business sort of wrap up for you? Was that a few years ago? Or? Yeah, I think 2016 was our last year. Yeah, yeah. Just had enough. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was a lot of pressure to to fill the seats. A uh, lot of lot of a lot of other boats, right? Was that another? Sort yeah. Of part? Um, well, it's just you know it's a business and yeah. it's like you know a lot of pressure to fill the seats and then a lot of risk too, mm. and not just you know things that go wrong on the boat, but you know risk of people seriously injuring themselves. Yeah. And you know, thank God we were you know we never had anyone seriously really seriously injure them you know a life threatening injury on the boat you know. You know, we had a you know a lot of stitches, and we had a, a chef got uh, really burnt badly one oh, time. Oh shit! In, in the galley. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, you know, thank God we never had that. You know, very serious kind of life-threatening situation. Man overboard, or uh, yeah, or just you know, I mean, look, look, you know, Michaela Jones, you know. Yeah. Oh Jesus! Yeah. One of the world's, yeah. Of the world's yeah, most most experienced surfers. You know, you can't be more experienced than yeah. Michaela Jones, and. And there, there you go, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, jeez, your life just yeah takes a Dream turn over. for the worst. Yeah, no, very sad news. Probably the most barreled human in yeah Indonesia. Probably. probably. Yeah, you know, during that time of doing boat trips, did you ever have a a trip where it was just every day it was on? It was just the perfect trip. <laughs> We had some pretty good trips, and it was funny. I remember, like, one trip we were getting good waves every day, and we pulled up to telescopes. Okay. And yep. telescopes is about head high. It's glassy. There's no one else there. And and the, the, the guests look at me and go, is there somewhere else we can go? <laughs> <laughs> head high. <laughs> and I was like, you guys have been on the boat too long. Wow. That's getting fussy. Yeah. But um, there was one trip down to Sumba. Uh, I only had one guest, and we were kind of like, well, you know, he's paid his money. Yeah. You know, so it cost me $10,000 take this guy surfing. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, we'd run the trip, you know, for the customer. And, uh, we, yeah, we just had this back-to-back epic, huge swell. Wow. And we were mainly surfing this one particular right-hander down there. And I remember we woke up one morning, and it was like triple overhead, and it looked like Wyoming shore break. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was nuts. We we sat and drank coffee for a while, waiting for the tide to fill it yeah. up a little bit, and paddled out, shoulder hopped a couple, <laughs> and went, okay, that's good. <laughs> There's one thing about surf trips, you always see the, the epic photos of the really good trips, but you never hear about the real bad trips and shit goes wrong. Oh, man, we, yeah, we had some... Do you have a few of them? Oh, Whether had... during your own travelling days or during your, oh. your, your boat trip uh, venture? Yeah, like on your own travelling days, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, I had some shit trips, and but it's like, it's, you know, it's luck of the draw, no big deal. But when you've got people who've paid their money yep. to go on a surf trip and it's, it might be their one surf trip of the year and you're just getting skunked, it's like I oh, yeah I I really felt for them you know I was I, I yeah it happens it, it just it's like it's yeah we just had some trips where there's just like it was rain storm no swell yeah just couldn't find waves it was just like what do you do you know I hey, just felt so bad for the guys I I bet but I guess with the internet you know you can sort of have a, a give you know people will check the weather they'll they'll have a fair understanding hope that they may get mediocre surf i'd like to know in your in your, in your traveling days when there was no internet and uh and you know you've rocked up to a surf spot i mean just sit and wait or look up look up at the clouds and see the birds flying did you have uh any other ways to predict swell and wind and not really no it was i mean there was a bit of a thing here in indo we we always kind of felt a few days after the full moon, we'd get a swell. It was kind of a, a common thing. Yep. Um, but that was about it, you know. Um, you just kind of went somewhere and you just, what you got is what you got. Yeah. Exactly. No, you didn't really go with, well, of course, you went with the expectations of getting incredible perfect barrels. But, yeah, there was no no forecasting or predicting. Was there... I know there's there's obviously a, a couple of older Balinese surfing legends, but you know when you first came, did was there? Do you had any um, contact with any people surfing, like lo- local surfing back in? Well, back in those days when I first came, that Kuda was the only place to stay. Yeah, um, Ligian was off in the bush. No one had even heard of Samanyak or Krabakan. Yeah, uh, or Changu or anything like that. Um, so Kuda was just still a pretty sleepy little fishing village with a couple of warongs, a couple of little market shops, a couple of cassette shops. And I'd say, from what I can recall, there was maybe half a dozen Indonesian mm-hmm. surfers at that time. And they all hang out this, they hang, hung out at this one cassette shop. So, you know, we'd get, have dinner and then you get in the cassette shop. And M- miss the old cassettes. Yeah, hang out with the boys and listen to cassettes, you know. <laughs> And, um, you know, you've obviously seen surfing evolve, well, especially local surfers evolve over the years. Any any sort of favourite Balinese surfers you, you like to see in the water, whether past or, or present, over, over your time? Um, to be honest with you, I don't see much. Yeah. I don't actually see much surfing. Yeah. Because I don't go down to the Warongs at Uluwatu. Right. I have my I have another access to Uluwatu. Yeah. Um, and pretty much where I look at the surf and where I surf, very few yeah. Balinese surfers will will come out and have a surf. Yeah, you know, fair enough. I mean, we you know we made boards for you know guys like uh, Blackie and uh, you know Gobleg and uh, Monot and and uh, you know they send us videos yeah. of them surfing, so it's great to see them you know surfing so well. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm I'm often not surfing with many people or or most just westerners you know yeah oh well, fair enough fair enough there's, there's a lot out there and there's they seem uh, to be uh yeah just i mean the main sections at all the too i can't surf any I, I i just don't enjoy it yeah yeah it's just too crowded fair enough fair it's enough too crowded did you um spend much time up at nas you mentioned thornton no, before but uh, we would stop through on the boat and surf it a little bit um but no never really you know it's a right hander yeah, I know. I, I can see that you love your lefts, fair enough. <laughs> Why you go chasing rights when there's so many good lefts? Yeah, you know? exactly. Hey, we have, um, and I'm going to let you go pretty soon, Jim, so I know that you've got to get plants and head back to Ulu's and with the tra- traffic and everything. Yeah. But we've got a couple of um, questions, well, two segments. One's called the uh, Clive Palmer Cup. Basically, we, we ask people for nominations on, or just on anything that, um, whether it's a person or, or something that just gives you the shits. It's just the double thumbs down. And on the flip side, 
on a more of a positive note, we've we, we got the Steve Irwin salute, um, and we ask anyone who's got any anyone that deserves a double thumbs up, Steve Irwin salute. So, uh, put you on the spot, mate. But is Clive Palmer Cup first? Is you know uh, Clive Palmer is. He's a greedy bloody miner who tried to sue Western Australia, so we don't love him much. But um, oh, okay, he's a dickhead. Yeah. Anything that shits you, or doesn't have to be a person, or, or whatever. Does anything just gives you the shits? Um. Yeah, I don't think it's not really anything personal, and I don't watch the news or anything that's politics or anything that's going on in the world, but. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it. We're living in a massively corrupt system, which is basically designed to enslave us. Yeah. And that's the gag, isn't it? You know, it's like we're all, we're all, we've become enslaved chasing freedom. Yeah. You know, because we believe that having money is going to give us freedom. But what happens is we become enslaved chasing that freedom, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and I, and I, and I check in with a lot of people, you know, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And a lot of people are just sick of it, you know. Yeah, I just as sick of continually chasing money and always feeling like you're never going to have enough. Yeah, I know that feeling. And there's such a you know uh, terrible you know sharing of the planet's wealth. Mm. You know, there's a, a small handful of people, are, you know, holding and controlling so much. Yeah. And then keeping everyone else with so little. You yeah. Know? Do you do you have that feeling in Bali, Jim? Or are you pretty content with with your life? I mean, no, I'm still, you know, um, you know, still have that feeling of like, you know, got to keep the money coming in, you keep the money put, flowing. You got to put something on. Food yeah, on I the mean, table. I still don't, you know, I still don't own a piece yeah. of land, or I don't yeah. own a house, I don't even own this car actually. Yeah. I just rent it. Um, so it'd be nice to know one day that I can, you know, I've got a piece of land that I can go. Okay. Yeah. That's regardless of what happens, I've got that piece of land and that little house, and I can, yeah. you know, I can live there. So. Yeah, so I still feel the pressure to, to you know, chase the, the the continually elusive dollar. Yeah, yeah, we all, we all well, yeah. I definitely do. How do you, f- have you found the prices, I mean, coming from a dollar a day to, can I ask you, you know, you lived on a dollar a day, how many dollars a day are you now? I wouldn't even know. <laughs> 50 years later. <laughs> I don't even know. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's definitely not a dollar a day no, anymore. No, no. I mean, <laughs> a little while too. Uh, staying up there, yeah, real estate and everything. But uh, no, I hear you. I mean, you can still, you know, I can still go get lunch for a dollar. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can, get, I can get breakfast for a dollar. I can get lunch for two dollars, yeah. you know, if I want. Yeah, you can, can't you? Yeah, but it's not the highest quality food. No, you know? it's a lot no, of true. Not these days. I yep. mean, back in the day, it was what it was. You know, yep. now a lot of the oils are using the, you know, they sort of dodgy oils. Yeah. So it's not so good, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can't stop it. Yes. So, um, on the flip side, Jim, Steve Irwin salute. On the thumbs up. I don't Anyone know. out there that you want to give the double thumbs up to? Um. Anyone doing good things in Bali or, or globally or? I, I see, you know, I see a, a lot of good things happening. You know, people like cleaning up the plastic in the ocean. Oh, that's huge, isn't you it? You know, I think that's a fantastic thing to see that happening, you know. Um, you know, anything along that sort of vein I really like. Um, you know, any sort of... You know, reforestation stuff. Yeah. I've seen people that have that have taken on, you know, entire valleys and re- reforested an entire valley, you know. Yeah. I think that sort of stuff I love to see. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So I suppose, yeah, it's, it's anything that's, like, po- more positive for the environment yeah, yeah. that I, I, I like to see. Yeah, I, I like to see that too. And I have seen a, f- a fair bit of that, um, especially the, the plastics in the oceans and in the rivers and organizations working together to, to to clean it up and it's just trying to yes whether they just keep continually cleaning it up or can we stop people just throwing trash in the waters i mean it's uh well, yeah, well, you're talking of generations of, of yeah. behavioural habits, I guess. You know, and people are so critical of the of the trash in yeah. in Bali, but what they forget is these guys had recyclable packaging forever. Yeah, you know, 
it's our culture that's brought all this cl- crap yeah. and plastic into their culture. Yeah. yeah. Their classic culture, man, it's all recyclable. Yeah. It's wrapped yeah. up in a banana leaf. Yeah. You know, and it's you, you throw the rubbish in the corner because it's going to decompose. Yeah. And turn into mulch. Yeah. You know, so you know, they're you know a lot of them. It's still a massive education to to switch them from like oh, you know that's not going to break down mm. like what you used to use. Yeah. You know, and it's happening. Um, and they're doing it in the schools now, and and you know, I think Bali's definitely cleaner now than what it was four yeah. or five years ago. Yeah. Um, but sure, there's still you know there's still places where there's you know big issues with the plastic, and I mean that was a great thing oh, during COVID. Um, this oh. guy was doing plastic for rice. Yeah. He was bring bring all the plastic in and he'd give everyone you wow. get rice. That's a good good and incentive for yeah. people to go clean up. Yeah. So they were recycling the plastic because you know. Like I said, a lot of them still are the culture of like, yeah, well, you just dump the the rubbish in the creek, yeah, and it decomposes and washes down, and maybe it maybe ends up in the sea, but most of it probably decomposed before it even got to the yeah. sea. But now it's all plastic and non-biodegradable. It's you know it's clogging up all the creeks and, and yeah. then does end up in the ocean and yeah. Hey, you mentioned COVID. I mean, how many people were in the lineup during like during the height of COVID? Because I know there's a big expat you know local community of surfers was it that much could you notice the difference in in the number of people yeah i mean there were some days at uluwatu that was just me wow <laughs> <laughs> and you were having your flashbacks to 77 i bet going how good's this <laughs> yeah yeah when they you know there was a point where they really came down hard and blocked off access to the beach and yeah. you know and the, but there's a few of us you know like cockroaches yeah we found our way to the ocean and managed to paddle out and <laughs> exactly. yeah i remember a couple of days paddling out and being the only person in the water and yeah. no one on the beach and yeah it was just fantastic it was great so jim you know for for punters that are that are um coming to indonesia coming to bali and if they want to get hold of you to to check out some of your, your designs that you've been working on what's the best way for people to get hold of you jim to um Oh, look, just go on the Instagram. Just, yep. you know, um, look up Jim Mang Surfboards. Yeah. Send us a message on the Instagram or g- go to the website. Just Google Jim Mang Surfboards. We've got a contact page. Yeah. You know, yeah, just reach out and, um, yeah, we can build you something. Yeah. No, it sounds, sounds epic. Well, Jim, mate, it's been unique sitting in the Suzuki here. Um, <laughs> we're just parked outside the plants place. Jim needs to pick up some plants before he shoots back up to Ulu. So... We're going to let him uh, get about his business, but I do appreciate you making time, mate. And, um, yeah, thanks for coming on Barrel Surf Podcast, and uh, all the best. Yeah, mate, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Jim. Thanks, mate. Okay, see ya.